you are about to enter the courtroom of some random wrestling fans. The people are real. The opinions are real. The wrestling is predetermined. This is Wrestling Court. Welcome to Then Now Whatever, the wrestling podcast, episode 24. I'm your host, the Doctor Among Men, Duncan Joyce. I'm joined as ever by the hardest working Triple H mark in show business, Mr. Carl Cambray. Hello. Good to see you, Carl. Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas to you. How was your festive period? It's been absolutely fine. I have done nothing. No teaching, no nothing. Just relaxed and getting ready for... The new year started back. <laughs> Good stuff, yeah. I'm pretty much the same. I've got some job applications I'm waiting on at the minute, so I just can't help but do nothing. Yeah. Really. <laughs> Hopefully I'm not like too lazy by the time I've got interviews coming up if it come about. <laughs> but what's this? A new challenger approaches. What? What? You want to battle me? Yo, man, how much money you got? It's the host of the Roar's Nitro podcast, our good friend, Lee Carlos Cunningham. Alright gents, how's things? Great, lovely to have you Lee. <laughs> Thank you for having me, it's a pleasure. Oh, it's always a pleasure. We've probably inherited like most of our listeners from you by this point anyway, so this might be a little redundant, but just in case anybody's not familiar with you, tell us a little bit about your fandom in wrestling and what got you started been a fan for 30 years now since i was four got into it SummerSlam 88 just went around to my cousins and watched it and fell in love with wrestling in general bought all the figures and watched it probably through solidly every episode i could get my hands on till about the mid 2000s and then gave it away for a few years and now back going through all the retro stuff thanks to the wwe network and not having to watch current product to get my wrestling fix Nice. It's always the cousins, isn't it? Kyle, you were the same, yeah, weren't you? I was the same. And I, I noticed this. My cousin got into wrestling, always <laughs> seemed to get into wrestling sooner than I did based on how much stuff he did when I realised wrestling was a thing. Yeah, anyway, so Lee joins us today because we've got a very, very special episode for you here. As you know, Kyle is a very, very big Dribble H fan, and that's caused <laughs> some debate amongst the community. So I wanted to put together a format that really kind of highlights the pros and the cons of a wrestler in a nice, friendly environment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll see how that goes. Now remember, lads, we're all friends here, right? Yeah, so what we have for you today is the debut edition of Wrestling Court. So what we've got for you today is we've got three parties involved, myself, Kyle and Lee. Kyle, obviously, is going to be the pro Triple H party here, and he has chosen two Triple H matches to study based on that. Lee is going to highlight the negative aspects of Triple H, and he's picked two matches to reflect that. And I, as the host, am going to be the neutral party. So I picked one match that highlights what I like about Triple H and one match that highlights what some of my misgivings of Triple H are. Lee, as our guest, why don't you begin? Why don't you tell us all about... What Triple H means to you in terms of your fandom and what your general impressions of him are? Well, I've got probably two parts to the, the answer for this for me, and this is going to possibly shock Kyle early off the bat, but as a 
non-wrestling personality. I think Triple H is the best thing for WWE right now. I think NXT is sensational. All the guys he signs are brilliant, and he seems to book the product in a way that I much more enjoy watching. So I'll give you my positive up front. My not-so-positive is I think Triple H has maybe been given chances slightly before I felt he was ready as a fan and had some guys really drag him up onto their level. And then when he got up there, he was a bit more like, the girl in the Titanic and probably had room on two for that gate, if you ask me my opinion, and didn't often pull too many people up himself. For me personally, because I first got into the WWF in the year 2000, and by that point, Triple H was the WWF champion. So I've never had this stigma associated with Triple H that he's this undeserving guy, because when he got into wrestling, he was the champion, and he was just a made guy at that point. So I've just always accepted him as a top-line guy, and... Luckily, that year he had really a high watermark year in terms of his in-ring ability and all the matches he was putting on. Mick Foley really, really got his main event run off to a smashing start, classic matches, and he just built upon that over and over again throughout the year. 2008 was another similar really, really high in-ring point for Triple H that I enjoyed immensely. The biggest misgivings that I have with Triple H was the beardless run, mid-2002 <laughs> to uh, to the start of 2004, where it was basically Triple H versus WCW, and there was that time where he had that groin injury, but they kept the title on him, and he wrestled in those horrendous bicycle shorts. Yeah. And Let's not forget the chinless missing beard as well. It's not just lack of facial hair that's a problem. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's true. The, the motorhead look. The lem look. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there's pros and cons for me as far as Triple H is concerned. As with you, Lee, I'm a tremendous fan of how he is as a backstage personality now. You know, you have to accept the fact that if he hadn't married into the McMahon family, he wouldn't necessarily be trusted to this extent that he is. He probably would have been, like, I don't know, the booker, the, the lead storyline writer for NXT and stuff but he would not have been in this position to sort of revolutionise everything going on underneath the main roster he does a tremendous job of everyone he works with not necessarily that he has the time to work with everybody one on one but you can bet your ass that if somebody really catches his eye be like going over to Mr. Regal like hey you know give this guy I, mean, I want some updates on him or we'll be going over to Sarah Delray and saying keep your eye on them, work really, really closely with them. There's something really blooming here. And modern Triple H, as far as the in-ring goes, I, I kind of wish he'd <laughs> go on the back burner a little bit more. But we, hey. we might get to that a little bit. <laughs> Kyle, all the way back on our fifth episode, you revealed to us how Triple H was on the first episode of Monday Night Raw you saw. Where yeah. he was forming the new Degeneration X. Yeah, so... So for me, it goes a little further back. I kind of saw his growth as Intercontinental Champion and his growth from there moving into being WWF, WWE Champion. So I'm on a similar view with Dunk in that for me, it's just been a progression that I've seen of Triple H and there's not really been anything that I found was kind of handed to him. Back then, you never really got the internet backstory of stuff that you would get now so it was never really common knowledge of you know his backstage doings and that only came to light when the internet became popular whereas back then you kind of just saw his progression you know so 
from my side of watching him, I had no qualms. I do understand where people's points are with regards to would he be where he is today if if he didn't marry into the family. But you could say that argument for absolutely anything, you know. Just on the subject of Steph, the red carpet and the evolution show made me laugh out loud. She felt the need to explain the concept of her calling her husband by his real name. <laughs> like, oh, this is sitting home watching with Triple H, or Paul as I call him. This is fucking name! <laughs> like it's the a wonderful carny world of wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. Yeah, just going back to your point of having that understanding of Triple H having this place within the McMahon family. 2008 and 2009 got a little bit irritating me for his storylines because they positioned him as this really, really big anti-hero kind of guy and oh, he, he'd get all of these obstacles put in his way, like way more than any other people. It's like, oh, Triple H, you want to be in the Royal Rumble, do you? Well, you have to win these three matches in a row and you got to beat William Regal in a first blood match. Yeah. And it felt like they were trying so hard to position him as something opposing what the main authority figures would like in yeah. WWE when you know for a fact that he is everything the people in charge of WWE love of WWE and that rubbed me up a little bit of a wrong way but like I said that was a really good in-ring year for him so I always enjoyed his wrestling yeah and I think as well like the DX side of that when they brought DX back it was quite fun to see his little Hot shots with him being part of the family. It was common knowledge that Steph was pregnant. Triple H and Sean would come out, take the piss completely, and have a picture of a baby with Triple H's face. So stuff like that, you think it's cool that he can take the piss, you know, with all this. And I think fans kind of got on board with it a little more. Of yes, this is common knowledge, but we kind of see his humorous side of of the. Of things, I quite enjoyed that the little winks and stuff yeah. weren't so bad. Oh, Stephanie's pregnant. Who do you think did that? And Triple H's like, I don't know, but whoever he is must be a big stud. <laughs> when they when Shaw they're doing the backstage segment with Ty Dillinger when he was first. Oh know, yeah, just, he's like, oh, what's her name? What's her name? Triple H won't say anything. He just starts switching music and everyone <laughs> backstage. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I do enjoy that segment, and I will just say, while before we get into the into the heavy stuff as well, that I definitely have no qualms with Triple H marrying Stephanie, so that's not on my list of beef today. So there's going to be no personal attacks whatsoever. <laughs> it's going to be purely based on wrestling character and how much it affected my enjoyment and the elevation of others. Yep, fantastic. So Lee, as for prosecution, if you will. Why don't you get us <laughs> kicked off? You picked a couple of matches to highlight. I'm guessing from the looks of them, highlight your issues with Triple H's booking, in a sense. Well, they're all from pretty much a similar time period. And I've got, I've got two matches here that we'll go through quickly. And I've also just got a list of names that I'm just going to throw out there for a little piece that I've called Triple H's Graveyard for a little bit later on as well. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> But we'll go to the first match first, and this is one of my all-time least favourite matches because I had such high hopes for this guy, and they just killed him dead straight away. And that's Scott Steiner, and it's the second Triple H match. Will Scott Steiner realise his dream, or will Triple H prove once again why he is that damn good? The 
I won't go through the move by move as I do on my show because I don't want to bore all your listeners, but I'm just going to go through the, the things that I think highlight my side of the story here and let you guys tell me what you think about this. But the first issue I had with it was the video package. Will Scott Steiner realize his dream or will Triple H prove why he's that damn good? This is Big Popper Pump. This is not some plucky underdog. And month two, he's basically fighting the establishment. So straight away, I've got an issue with that there. Triple H actually put a really stinging shoot comment in this video package where he says there's nothing I'd like more than to embarrass you again, which is exactly why they've booked this for the second month in a row. <laughs> yeah, very um, good. <laughs> obviously, the issue here with Scott Steiner coming in was he was injured and he had the issue with his foot and wasn't 100% ring ready. And I think putting him in two big main event matches straight away was obviously not the right way to go. He should have probably gone into the upper mid card and been squashing a few notable names, but no one too big to start with. Here he comes out for the second pay-per-view match and he gets a pop, but it's not a big pop really. And you could tell the, the blooms off the rose already. And by sort of halfway through the match, the crowd are booing him. And Triple H is not doing a lot to help him. He's very, very rarely selling. And Scott Steiner, the guy who is known for all his big suplexes and high impact moves, is resorting to kicking Triple H's leg as his main offense of the match. Triple H being the heel is the one that should be calling this and trying to do something to get the crowd on side. But we pretty much just carry on the way this has gone all the way through. 
a really boring, dull match, which gets a boring chant from the crowd. Ric Flair comes out, as do Evolution. They get ejected. Triple H hits him with a belt and a pedigree. One, two, three. Scott Steiners pushes over. This leads me to my questions for you guys after this match. Can you think of a time where they've brought in a big money signing and sabotaged them quicker than this? Sting? <laughs> what? Who, who, beat, who beat Sting? <laughs> Well, I mean, I'm answering your question. (laughs) Yeah, I kind of hope you'd follow that path somewhere. I I, I guess there was harm done to Sting before he got in the ring with Triple H. So they had this stupid thing where they didn't want him to speak. And like the the slow ball voice. That was a bit The vigilante. The vigilante, yes. (laughs) Absolutely. There must be somebody in the... 80s who was like a one in one and done Hogan feud or something yeah must can you think of any good reason any at all why you would book this twice well I mean so just to run through the stuff that I found about the, the video package that, as you mentioned earlier on Triple H is all like I went 30 minutes with Freakzilla and I think this was a big point of contention for Steiner as well in his mm. interviews post. This was like, well, they're just trying to blow me up and make me look bad, you know? And why would they do that? And Steiner was, from my understanding, having a lot of nerve issues. Yeah. So if you, if you look at his stance and stuff in the ring, it's a lot narrower than what it was when he was like the, the Steiner brother, Scott Steiner. He was having a lot of trouble feeling his legs and things like that. And you actually see it at one point, as you mentioned, he works over the leg in the ring and he does the kick Triple H's leg out of his leg spot and Steiner actually falls over himself performing the kick. He had something I think called drop foot syndrome or something, didn't he? Mm, Yeah, so why you'd still do it a second time? They're just not that flexible with the booking, I guess. You know, they, they had to do something to round off Steiner's I think title run. Try not to steer away from obviously the, the Triple H subjects that we're on. I think eighty percent of the issue is actually the booking itself. Having someone come in like Scott, and you find it with quite a lot of guys that came in from WCW anyway. That Vince, because they were from WCW, just destroyed in general. I mean, it's a shame that they pretty much destroyed Steiner within two months but if you look at other WCW names it, you know they were like six months eight months their characters had gone I just think that they were hoping Steiner would probably amount to a little more than than he did and by the way I just want to mention when Steiner throws Randy out of the ring and he hits Batista oh yeah oh my god that looks really bad. And even the landing, Batista turns over and he's like, you get ready, you get ready. <laughs> And I just think that the way that everything was, was going with Steiner, they were just building him up to be this big guy and the fans just were not on board. And I don't think that's any fault of Triple H's. I just think Triple H was the guy that he was in the ring with. You know, oh, I think... I, I think if you go back to the Survivor Series where he debuted and yeah. the Raws before that first match, the crowd would definitely pumped up for Steiner. I think all the wind went out of his sails pretty much the second he got in the ring with Triple H. Yeah, but I, I wouldn't put the blame on Triple H for that. In a sense of who you're wrestling, you can only be as good as you put yourself across to be. I think, again, it goes back to this inflexibility 
here. So, Lee, you mentioned how the crowd are turning on this match and nobody's doing anything to turn it around. And there's probably a little bit that goes on Triple H's part as far as that's concerned. But it surely wasn't his idea to do these spots against Earl Hebner when they're in Montreal. Like, yeah, this is going to be a really, really big babyface moment for yeah. Earl Hebner in Montreal. He's going to stand up to Triple H. He's going to do all those old spots. I personally am of the opinion Triple H being around and tenured by this point probably A, knew enough what was going to go down. B, had enough pull to possibly change some things. The, the best example I can probably give you of, for a comparison piece to this is the Ric Flair match with Vince McMahon. Now, Flair's come in out of shape, lacking confidence, not ready to go. So what they did there was basically bring in the gimmicks, weapons, blood, violence, and that got over big time and helped Flair ease into the company when he wasn't feeling comfortable. And I think I'll be willing to give you benefit of the doubt on the Rumble match and say Triple H can only work with what he's got. Didn't expect this to be a problem. He thought it was going to be a good match, etc., etc. Not going and changing at least a slight deviation for the second time around is, is where I really take the issue with this one. And a stinker like this, you've also got to look at who took the blame because Triple H obviously is the champion and he's going to be in a big match at the next pay-per-view. Does anybody remember what Scott Steiner did at WrestleMania the next month? Fuck all. <laughs> <laughs> I actually didn't look it up because I genuinely was hoping one of you would surprise me with something because <laughs> I do not recall. Outside of this, the only thing I recall is him and Test and Stacey Keebler having a little issue and that's all I can remember him doing after this. So he's come in for a big run and it pretty much is dead in the water after about five, six weeks. The genie was already out of the bottle come the Royal Rumble. Like, you say he got a pop at the start. I could still hear a little bit of dissension in there, yeah. I think. So, well, it was just as much of the circumstances that came before this match as it was this match in particular that probably turned the crowd. But I'm with you here. This is a really flat and dull, lumbering match. We can argue about whether Triple H should put himself in no position to carry Steiner or whether he just wasn't in the position to carry Steiner at the time, but he just didn't do it and didn't work around the limitations they had with him. All of my really positive notes on this match come from the video package. Yeah. So, Evanescence, <laughs> motherfucking... Yes! Like, that's my first note. Evanescence, motherfucker. <laughs> and there's this really cool bit where the line in the song says, leading you down. Well, she just said, and just as that point in the video package hit, they cut to this image of Triple H doing his <laughs> pose in the corner. So <laughs> the only line in that song I can think of was relevant for Steiner is "Save me." <laughs> <laughs> My other highlight of that video package was so it's the night after the Royal Rumble. Steiner wants his rematch right away, and Triple H is like, "Oh no, I can't wrestle tonight. I got a note from the doctor." And then Evolution beat up Scott Steiner, and then Triple H gets involved in the beat down. After he's laid out. And JR, like the big old mark that he is, exclaims, What about the doctor's note? <laughs> <laughs> made me piss myself. Oh my god. That's oh. one thing that WWE do not fail at the video packages. Absolutely. Absolutely spot on with video packages. That's something we can all agree on. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you. This is a match that reflects negatively on Triple H. But as you say, Scott Steiner bore the main brunt of it. Kevin Nash, I think, accused 
WWE the same sort of thing with their cell match and things like that later on. Triple H, because he had that amazing 2000 and 2001 run, they see him as the reliable hand here. So if a match fails, they probably see it as not a case of, well, Triple H didn't do enough for him. It's more a case of, look at Triple H's back catalogue here. And I don't think Triple H was quite in the groove yeah. post-quad injury. I mean, it's over a year since he came back from his quad injury, sure, but... Still, it was only really the start of 2004 where he sort of changed his in-ring shape and really sort of changed the way he works and got a bit more hands-on and stuff like that. I also think, and this is in no way is a defence of Triple H, this goes for anybody in any match, but if you feel like you aren't getting over with the fans, you feel like the fans are getting on your back, as they did with Steiner in that match. Surely, as a professional you want to get the fans on side so you would make an effort to get the fans on side whether that's when Triple H is down you do a few pauses for the crowd or the slightest things but there was no effort from Steiner with that it was like they knew they had to get from beginning to end and that was it there didn't seem to be an effort as soon as the the crowd got on, on Steiner's back he didn't change I mean we've seen it in recent years when the fans have got on the back of the likes of CM Punk, Dolph Ziggler and stuff. You can see they make an effort of interacting with the crowd or if they get on the back, they tell them to fuck off or stuff like that. There was nothing from Steiner. Absolutely nothing. That's a good point. I'm just saying that there was nothing from Triple H either. Yeah. So I think that is the thought of this match. Both guys are following a plan and they're both sticking with it and yeah. it's just not coming off. I completely agree that it was an awful match. It was an awful match. I just feel that it's quite harsh, some of the blame going on Triple H. If if he was going to dish out blame, I'd, I'd definitely put it at 80-20 Steiner of making an effort. Because if you think about it, if Triple H is the main guy, then literally Steiner beating down Triple H, Triple H being a heel and Steiner being the face, then that's got to get a cheer. And it doesn't, it gets booze because they don't seem to like what Steiner's doing. So something's got to change, and Steiner's got to make the effort. And surely the fans weren't on board with him coming into this match, because if you get a boost straight away from that, I mean, you know, like like Lee said, there was a bit of a pop, but I, I agree with you, Dunk, that you know, there were a few, few boos there. So I understand your point that Triple H did need to lead that as the leading guy, but he, there's a lot of blame on Steiner there. I think my big objection with that is sharing the blame, but they didn't share the outcome. So it's like if, if if I sort of know that if me and my friend go and do something stupid and I go home, my mum's going to be mad at that friend more than me, then I'm not so bothered. But if I'm going to go home and get the clip around the ear just the same, then I might think twice about doing it. But he's let him astray and then let him suffer the consequences. And Triple H is someone that has felt the opposite end of this before, if you think back to the curtain call. So, yeah, I, yeah, I personally think that Triple H is certainly not gone out of his way to help Scott Steiner, who's new to the company and doesn't understand the way things work the way that Triple H definitely does by this point in time. You mentioned earlier, well, Triple H will have a lot of... I don't want to use this term, but stroke backstage and... You know, <laughs> I mean, I kind of agree with you in a sense that if 
Triple H really saw something useful in Scott Steiner, he would have maybe thought through a little bit about how the match is going to go and have put some ideas or input into that. Whereas, like, I think when he doesn't feel that way of someone, he more turns into the, the company guy. Yeah. And he'll just go with whatever the people higher up than him say. Like, well, yeah, you can do whatever I want. Kind of like John Cena really is nowadays. Like, John Cena is like the ultimate company guy. Like, oh, I'm, I'm good, I'll do whatever you want, kind of thing. Agreed. That was one little stinker from this period of Triple H. We've got another match from this period of Triple H that you wanted to bring up, Lee? Yeah, we do. This one's actually a little bit earlier. As we move on to this, I'm just going to point out a couple of things. One is that I think in this sort of year, year and a half period, I don't feel Triple H had a decent match with anyone not named Shawn Michaels. So when the blame gets proportioned for this next one, I would personally start to have a look around at how many times you could put this out there. Now, there's also one other little thing that I added to my notes as we were doing our intro there, because, Kyle, you said something interesting, that you said that you watched Triple H for a long time and you didn't feel he had anything handed to him. Yeah. So, the first note I've got on this next match is he literally had the world title handed to him. (laughs) Well, Lee, (laughs) I've got an answer to this, actually. (laughs) So... The previous week to Bishop unveiling or re-debuting the World Heavyweight title, there was a number one contenders match for Brock Lesnar's undisputed WWE Championship where Triple Whoa. H fought The Undertaker. And through screwy circumstances, Triple H wound up beating yeah. The Undertaker. But right at the end of that match, Brock Lesnar defects to SmackDown, says, no, it's not the undisputed title anymore. It's a SmackDown exclusive title. And then the next SmackDown after that, Undertaker defects to go and chase Brock Lesnar. And so, I think what the logic was that because Triple H won the number one contenders match, but the champions sodded off, well, that makes him worthy of being the champion. But in terms of the storyline of Triple H having this championship, it is like that they're trying to play out that, oh, he's been given this championship. Is he really a, a worthy champion, I guess? Yeah. And I'll again say, can you think of. Any other time when someone was handed a world title in the ring. Not a world title, I don't think. No. <laughs> well, when you, uh, when you say about Triple H be, not being handed something, my point was from the 98 era when I started watching up to when Dunk was in 2000 when he was world title. Like, f- from that, growing up, seeing him become champion, you know, you, you kind of just saw him fight for what he needed, going from this smart-ass DX guy to then becoming this cerebral assassin going in, you know, wanting to fight and stuff. Yeah. Whilst you mentioned that time period, actually, you had Stone Cold Steve Austin, who was very kind of, oh, I don't know, is he really the guy yet, kind of thing, and that attitude. So I think that kind of embedded in Triple H a little bit in terms of when people are really ready to have the run. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I'm certainly not going to be singing the the praises of some of the other top guys from that era, and Triple H is not alone. I just think by virtue of his position that he takes up through, as we all agreed, no nefarious means earlier, I think that he got to extend his run of playing some of these games a lot longer than others did. So the match that we're talking about here as well, getting back on topic, is um, Triple H and Rob Van Dam. I could have gone neck and neck with this one and Kane the next month, but I went with RVD, um, mainly because I think by this point Kane was a, a made man and certainly 
you know, his tenure and longevity has proven that point. So I think the RVD one was the one that long-term did the most damage. And before we even get to the promo package for this one, there was a promo earlier in the night on this show that I don't know if you guys watched or not, but Triple H, again, in my opinion, is saying what he really thinks, tells RVD he can't be the champion because he's too calm, has no passion, and there's no way you'll ever be the champion around here. And I think that was exactly the knock that ended up being on RVD for a long time. So, you know... It cut a bit too close to the bone, and again, RVD, the character they gave him, can't exactly fight back and say anything of, of any consequence to, to win the, the verbal sparring. Yeah, because he's stuck written as this cool whatever guy, and yeah. you know, he's like, well, I don't, I don't care of your opinion, I'm just going to go out and do as I do kind of thing, I guess. He's kind of like that in real life, though. You know, he's kind of that guy of, if you don't want to push me, well, we'll fuck you, so I'll go somewhere else. He, he's well known for being that sort of guy. I think if if you look at some of his ECW promos, and fair enough, take the, the, the swearing and whatnot out of it for WWE, but I definitely think he's got a lot more in the locker than cool, whatever. Yeah. During the match, this, this is where it really started to bother me, that promo, because Jerry Lawler just absolutely doubled down on the RVD can't be the champion because he's got no passion crap. And not being a political guy and, and politicking and fighting for your spot and not having passion are two completely different things. I mean, we can all agree RVD's far more laid back than most guys we see. But And this is another thing that I guess caused a problem with me is because RVD had that laid back character, but when he got to the ring, that was where he sort of had the, the mindset of, I'll show you in the ring. And in this match, he gets to basically pull off none of his best offense. So much like I said with Steiner in the previous match, Triple H is the heel and leading this one, and RVD is using some really dull offense. I mean, I think I counted approximately 987 side headlock takedowns in this match. So <laughs> Yeah, I noticed from early going, it's very, very headlock heavy here. And it kind of sounds a bit counterintuitive, but I guess from a strategy point of view, RVD is probably... He's seen Triple H is wanting to get this passion out of him and he's just going to remain calm and surprise him by out-wrestling him because, yeah. you know, Triple H wouldn't expect anyone to go down that route because, you know, he is the traditionalist wrestler and he is the fundamentally sound guy. So RVD's out to show, well, my fundamentals are good too, fuck you. And there's a lot around this time... Triple H and Ric Flair were kind of about having words with each other about what it really takes to be a champion. Yeah. And Ric Flair would be like, you gotta go to school! Woo! Use your fundamentals! And then like the next match, in answer to that, Triple H would win the match with just like a sleeper horn. And that actually comes into play in this match. He gets a sleeper on an RVD and it's a bit more of a, of a plot point than it normally would be. Yeah. I think you've told a really interesting story there, or one that they should have told in that Triple H berates RVD, mocks him, humiliates him, says that he can't wrestle and has no passion, and RVD stays calm, out-wrestles Triple H and wins the world title and becomes a main event guy. I mean, it's typical. Ric Flair comes out, turns on RVD. We could all see that coming a mile away, even at the time. I remember watching this in the in the cinemas and knowing that was going to happen because um, Australia had lost pay-per-view license for that year. And yeah, it's low blows, sledgehammer pedigree, one, two, three, and the story of this year or two of Triple H is told again. Yeah, so to your point, Lee, it did very much feel like Van Damme was wrestling Triple H's kind of match and not the other way around. And it really dragged out his trademark spots 
a bit more than like a traditional RVD match. And the other thing that got me about this match as well, the heat segment from Triple H was just a bit directionless. I couldn't tell what his strategy was in this match. Like he puts RVD face first into the steps, and then he's attacking the back, and then he's attacking the head, and then he's attacking the neck, and it, he's just all over the place. And he just wasn't really putting together a compelling match that makes you think, oh, how's RVD going to get out of this? On the subject, I've got a few, as I did with my last match, just a few questions to throw at you guys. So just quickly, we talked about Stone Cold and maybe not being the best with Triple H a few years prior to this. But do we remember how much of the rub Stone Cold gave RVD the year prior to this? You're talking about who got torpedoed quicker than Scott Steiner. Rob Van Dam debuted, like, what, June 2001? And by October, he was having WWF title matches. And that's kind of like yeah, a, a Chris Benoit level of ascendancy yeah. there in terms of going from debut to title picture. And yeah, as you say, Stone Cold was the champion at that time. And I, I think that was, again, Austin doubling down on wanting to be heel. Rob Van Dam was like the baby face of the alliance, essentially. And I guess Austin was kind of like, well, play me off against him and that will keep people against me. And yeah, it did really benefit from that, I think. I think the big thing as well with RVD is because he was like the superstar of ECW, that kind of lit a fire with Vince and thought, right, well, he's the guy for me to push, for me to get all these other fans on board, knowing that he's now got these other companies that he needs to make sure that, you know, this new fandom is coming along. So that's in part why RVD got that big push of being the, the top ECW guy. And then after this match, do you realise how long it was before RVD was considered a credible main eventer again after this? Well, I mean, a large part of that was down to a really massive knee injury. But, just to get to my point, I feel like that was much more due to Rob Van Dam crushing Triple H's throat in the Elimination Chamber as it was to this championship programme. Yeah, I, the injury thing is, is one thing. Like if you, if you actually watch that spot where he crushes his throat, it's a very, very difficult move to pull off in a brand new environment. I think we could probably all forgive a mistake or an accident happening in that and completely understand if that slowed him down a bit. But after this one match, where at this point RVD is still seen as a credible potential world title threat to Triple H, it's for a solid four years before anyone believes he's going to win a world title again. And yet he had that knee injury, which is, I guess, about nine or ten months of those four years. So... Even shaving a year off that, you know, sort of being generous, it's still a big, big gap between him being a credible threat and him again becoming a credible threat. Well, just to clarify, I don't blame Rob Van Dam for the injury. I'm just saying that that was where they lost trust in him a little bit. And if you look, so for me, watching this match, this feels like the start of Triple H running through a list of contenders to establish the championship because it's technically a new championship for the brand. And Ric Flair getting involved, that gives Rob Van Damme a kind of a little side feud until we get to the next title match, which of course wound up being the Elimination Chamber. And who knows, maybe he would have been in the mix a little bit more than he was if that didn't happen but it it was very very blatant to me that that accident was the cause of it because you look at the way Rob Van Damme wrestled that Elimination Chamber match he was clearly the star of it and yet the next month he wasn't on pay-per-view Wrestlemania in like four months time he gets bumped off the card for the Miller Light Girls cat fight yeah that 
that wouldn't have happened if there wasn't some kind of point that antagonised the people in the back. So I think he would have stayed a little bit more in the mix in that sense. I don't think this match necessarily in isolation, the championship match at Unforgiven, harmed him. It was more of a, the lack of follow-up. Which is down to WWE booking and less the Triple H side of burying someone. Possibly, but you could fi- you could kind of figure that Triple H might have had a little word in someone's ear, like, oh, you can't that's, have him that's be that. this dangerous. Just, 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 just out of curiosity, was it was it ninety seven? Triple H started sitting in on booking meetings. Yeah, so he he had he <laughs> knew about the Montreal thing because that's in his DVD. He talks about that. My big issue with the let's blame Triple H bandwagon is that unless it's proven that this happened, you can only put the blame on superficially not actually blame him for it. Unless you know, you can't blame him for that. Yes, I understand with Steiner and with RVD, yes, there are ways that Triple H could maybe have bumped them up a little bit, but I do think that the Triple H RVD was 10 times better than the Scott Steiner match. And to show that Triple H didn't essentially bury RVD, like Dunk said, he was one of the main guys within the Elimination Chamber. So I... I wouldn't have said that this match kind of sent him on a downward spiral in that sense. If anything, you kind of thought, oh, what's next? You know, with Flair coming out, the start of Evolution, where's RVD going with this? It's a fine balance, really, in terms of developing a strong title run to add prestige to a championship. But also, the fact that Triple H is a heel champion gets banded about that well maybe he hurt some people who were potential draws. Yeah. And I think that's what plays into it. If we had say like CM Punk's record run, nobody's going around saying he hurt Daniel Bryan's career by retaining the title when there were a number of writers reportedly backstage who wanted Daniel Bryan to win the title. You know, nobody talks about the damage potentially done to Ryback in that instance as well either. Chris Jericho, Dolph Ziggler, you know. So I think it gets highlighted a lot more with Triple H because he's a heel champion and he's in the ring with all these faces who, as good guys, would be seen as the draw, whereas Triple H, as Jim Cornette sees it, is the guy who wrestles, the guys who draw the money. Yeah. I can't really talk about the punk Brian situation because I wasn't watching in that period of time it was probably about 2014 before I really started to watch regularly again the nearest comparison I can make and you know this is probably an easier one to swap back away would be Hulk Hogan because Hogan whilst he did draw tons and tons of money he always made sure that he got his way and he always looked strong in the end and then when someone another champion would come along a la a warrior or a Bret Hart Hogan managed to hog the spotlight and steal it back and in regards to the point Kyle made earlier about you can't prove that Triple H politicked or did this or did that, I think if over a long period of time you see the same person benefit from poor booking and poor storylines, I think you'd have to be a little bit naive to not think they've got some influence over that or someone might have just said, you know what, maybe this isn't working this time around. Certainly, if you go over any of the guys that were successful for long long stretches of time in the wrestling industry and you really dig down and do some research, you'll see that Probably all the top guys that had lengthy runs had a fair bit of power backstage. 
it's obvious he has an influence, but how much can you directly attribute that to Triple H as opposed to Vince going, I need someone reliable, oh, here's my son-in-law? Well, I guess probably what I'm trying to prove today is that Triple H's character on TV harmed more than it helped and whether or not he had zero percent or 90 percent of influence overriding his own storylines that to me as a viewer is probably not super relevant the issue i've got is when triple h comes on someone else gets hurt and damaged and people that i like don't get top spots so whether he wrote it vince wrote it someone else i don't know wrote it as a as a viewer it's probably not the most important part of the equation for me the thing with with wrestling and it's very well known in that it's highly political and you can go from being a main eventer to in the indies you know with the click of your fingers so you know not defending anybody but if you were over with the writers and the writers said right you're going to do xyz even without any input from that wrestler they're going to say yes because a they're getting all the screen time b they might get a title out of it you know, the, the biggest example, other than Triple H, is John Cena. John Cena is well known as being a yes man. And you can see nowadays, even with his matches, you know, in these last few years, he's come out and publicly said, I'll do whatever they ask me to do. Because he knows that WWE will put him in the limelight and put him where he needs to be. And he doesn't need to argue about anything because it's win-win. WWE get what they've asked John Cena to do and John Cena gets where he wants to be. And mm. I just think that Triple H was like the early John Cena in that sort of sense. By no means am I swatting away the backstage politics, but backstage politics is backstage politics for a reason. You know, we don't know the, the truths in all of this. Looking strictly as an in-ring thing, do I enjoy the show and stuff like that, Triple H was in a very, very prominent position for a very long time. And at some point it got a little bit stale and pretty much around the time of the time period of these matches that you've highlighted, Lee, 2003, like the Triple H versus WCW, that was, uh, this is blur to me. And it took like 2004 and 2005 for me to really turn around on that again. Going back to the analogy with John Cena, it's 2006 John Cena kind of felt like that to me, like where it felt like it was clear that they weren't quite giving people what they wanted in terms of what they were doing with John Cena and it took like the next couple of years after that for it to turn around and go no actually I'm enjoying watching John Cena again here so yeah yeah so I'm with you here there definitely was a stale point watching Triple H because he was so prominent for so long definitely we're getting somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is me trying to segue into this little uh, graveyard that you talked about earlier. <laughs> yes, I'm just going to throw some names at you. And just let me prefix this by saying some of these guys recovered and did quite well for themselves. But these are guys, and just off the top of my head, that I thought Triple H definitely, if he didn't kill and bury, he stalled significantly and didn't end up coming immediately out of their program with him better off than when they went in. And we talked about one earlier, Kevin Nash. Who booked old man Kevin Nash with about a quarter of a healthy quad amongst two legs to go that long in a hell in a cell? Come on. Kurt Angle was someone that I think could have come out of an angle with Triple H a lot better off than what he was. But allegedly, Triple H backstage, and this is something that we've heard from numerous sources, said that he was too small to be believable. I don't know if you've heard the story where Jerry Briscoe said, why don't you go and get in the ring with him and find out if he's too small to be believable? Um, I've heard that one, yeah. CM Punk. 
is a name that if you ask him, Triple H certainly didn't do him too many favours when he was coming up and one of the hottest things in the company. The one that most people don't like to touch is China. Certainly when her and Triple H had their formal breakup and Triple H went with Stephanie, and again, not getting into the personal things, but it certainly killed China dead in the water. And moving away from Triple H, she was on a, on a downhill. Randy Orton, which is something we're going to talk about later, so I won't go into in too much detail, but he certainly, to say he stalled him, you know, to stalled Orton's career, I think he probably stalled it more often than a learner driver on his first lesson, to be honest. <laughs> Booker T is another name on there that I think Triple H, that was a match that came very, very close for me putting on the list but just missed the cut the spirit squad oh, can we all remember <laughs> him right. actually sending them back not, OVW in can a crate? we not have the spirit squad in the, the stalling them because I think actually Triple H did them a favour maybe one of them <laughs> I don't know that um, someone with the talent that Kenny Dykstra had came out of that better than what he went in another one we talked about earlier is Sting his fingerprints were over that ruined WCW push which is a theme Another one that maybe doesn't get talked about as often that I think he... I don't necessarily think he outright stalled him, but I think there was a moment there where had they gone with the crowd, he could have really made the next star, and that's Dean Ambrose. That Royal Rumble where they were the final two, I've not seen the crowd get behind someone like that for a while in recent time. And yeah, I just think he he could have given Ambrose the big nudge instead of... And granted, this was probably not his fault backstage. I know that the push for Roman is probably more of a Vince thing, but that's just a small list of guys or guys and girls that I think have gone into a TV time with Triple H and come out worse than they went in. Which is, you mentioned Ambrose. One for me, Lesnar did the damage as far as that goes. Two, it was just interesting to me that... Triple H has wrestled all three members of the Shield, two of them at WrestleMania, but his best match was with Dean Ambrose. And, yeah, personally, I think that Roadblock title match that they had was a bit more beneficial for Dean than than what was to come with Brock Lesnar. I'll definitely say it was better than the Lesnar match because the Lesnar match was garbage, but the gripe is that old man Triple H out of retirement still beats one of your current top guys and sends him packing. I d- disagree with that. <laughs> I disagree with that. Just... I'm shocked. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think sending him packing is a, a yeah. bit much. Yeah. Like, he narrowly beat him and Ambrose had every counter to the pedigree under the sun apart from when he had to break a tank out in the ring because otherwise he was going to lose. So, like, if you go back and watch the match and see how even keel it was, I don't think you necessarily feel quite that strongly. I think Triple H went into the, the higher profile match next, which means he certainly went higher than Ambrose did, despite him being the older guy. This is why, like, we, we could probably, we're splitting hairs a little bit on this one, but this match to me reminded me of late 90s WCW. And yeah, you can get a guy like a Billy Kidman or a Rey Mysterio in with the the older veterans but they don't come out of it made men they go back to where they came from or a similar spot and the Brock Lesnar one is an abomination but Ambrose certainly didn't come out of that in my eyes as a viewer as any better than he went into it because I felt a guy like him should be beating Triple H who's not wrestled regularly for several years I mean I think that does kind of play into my reservations with part-time Triple H like 
they put too much thought and effort into his WrestleMania programs. Like, he must be a fixture of WrestleMania. But I think sometimes, and we'll get into this when we go over my section of the show, Triple H has this kind of old school mentality of it where he wants to get back to the, the days of the NWA where the blow has to be this big, drawn out, cerebral story and it doesn't always have to be that way. Yeah. But short term harm and long term harm is really what we should try and separate here. And yeah, I agree that there was a lot of short-term harm what could have resurrected that was why i think the time period of triple h being particularly poor in terms of helping people out was what they didn't have was they'd unified the intercontinental title and the world heavyweight title so when hogan was done with someone more often than not they be the intercontinental champion most of the top line heels where Hogan faced them on house shows and things like that, they'd have something big to aim for just underneath. And I think Raw at the time just didn't have that. So when Triple H was done with someone, it was a lot harder to give them a more prominent role than it would have been in previous years. Yeah, the, the Intercontinental title leaving certainly hurt it. What happened to the Intercontinental title in that era? I can't quite... So the Kane match that where it went. got unified. Yeah, the Kane match that you were close to picking, that was a title unification match. Where Kane was the oh. IC champ and Triple H won to unify them. It wasn't brought back until May of 2003. And at that point, Triple H was wrestling like Kevin Nash and Goldberg. People who, once Triple H was finished with them, blatantly weren't going to go all the way down to that level. They still wanted to see his being above that level anyway, in the case of Kevin Nash, they weren't interested in doing anything with afterwards anyway. It makes sense. So when you wrestled Triple H, there was no intercontinental title to go down to because Triple H had that one as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Again, I think they were desperate for prestige for Raw's new title. And I think that hurt it as much. I heard that the Intercontinental title was supposed to be the one that was positioned as the top title on Raw, but Triple H didn't like it because the title belt was too small. And so they brought back yeah, the World I, Heavyweight I, title. And of course, that's that. you're going to believe that, Lee. <laughs> I, I actually, actually, I never heard the Triple H part of that. I did hear that they wanted the Intercontinental title to be the top belt on Raw, but um, I, I, it made me giggle. <laughs> I do feel, though, that, like Dunk said, with the Intercontinental title, because... It held so much prestige going back to, you know, the the nineties and all the the top people that held that belt. It just goes to show, like nowadays, especially with people who have been vocal about it that have held the the title, like Cody Rhodes, the Miz in particular, they've got a point to prove that actually I'm more than happy to hold the Intercontinental Belt than I am a World Title because of who's held this belt, and that's what makes me want to keep this belt. That kind of highlights, you know, the the gap where they unified the belt, you know, how much they lost, really, of, of like, superstardom. Agreed. Yeah, it wasn't all that surprising when they hurried it back as quickly as they did. Yeah. I think that rounds off the kind of <laughs> prosecution. Kyle? <laughs> In the interest of fairness, I think we'll go with you next. Okay. So you've picked two matches to cover that highlight. What you love about Triple H? 
Yeah, so just before I start, at no point have I disagreed with, with Lee. We've come to an understanding. I understand your points, and there's, there's been no disagreement. <laughs> so my first match is Triple H against Austin at No Way Out in 2001 you'll sign a contract that will bind Triple H and Stone Cold Steve Austin to a match up to take place at No Way Out if Triple H and Stone Cold have any physical altercation Austin's out of WrestleMania bye bye to the title shot and Triple H is gone for six months it's official ladies and gentlemen we Austin feud that was brewing before Austin had to go off with his neck surgery. As Austin came back, this feud carried on and we found out that it was Triple H that had paid Rikishi and, you know, all that ridiculous thing. And by the way, that storyline did not help Rikishi. <laughs> no. At all. Just want to put I'll get there. there. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's nothing to do with Triple H, by the way. <laughs> I just think, you know, it just it was very left field to choose Rikishi. So, the, the reason that I've picked Triple H versus Austin, the three stages of hell, is it just highlights the idea that Triple H, whoever he's, he's wrestling, big star-wise, not to tread on your Scott Steiner RVD toes, <laughs> you know, the big stars like Austin and Rock, he would always go that extra mile and he would always want to have the other guy put forward their stuff especially in the early goings of that match it was very Austin central and you know Triple H letting Austin kind of move the match where he needed to move it and you kind of got that with with the finish because Austin taking the first pinfall was pretty much a given like it would be a Raw or Smackdown match it was kind of it was that one-sided and then quite often when we do these podcasts for for all this listeners that listen I, I always talk about the, the story of a match so the idea then that Triple H was to fight back and come back from 1-0 down as you will 
you know to to take it and especially with with using his his sledgehammer and bringing that into play and you know as we all know that's his weapon of choice and it's well known that he was a fan of the blading in the time and he wanted this battle to show how epic it is when you listen to any of the the conversations that he has about this match he was the one that was saying to austin look let's go out there and pretty much kill ourselves for the fans and that's kind of his dedication to top matches and the whole idea of having the back and forth finish a two count finish a two count you know towards the finish and then lee you probably disagree with me about this but the fact that look has it triple h lands on austin i do think that that that's a cracking finish for the match if there's any time where i want to put a match on and just watch it all the way through this is one of those matches and the fact that triple h is is in it you know only highlights it even more <laughs> i actually don't disagree i don't sorry disagree with that i thought the finish was quite fine that's not one of my i've got four small bones of contention with this match but that's certainly not one of them okay just to recap it was a two out of three falls match but it was the first time that they had different stipulations in each fall so the first fall was just going to be a regular one-on-one wrestling match the second fall was going to be a street fight and the third would be a cage match if it all came down to it and I just loved the idea of this match and how it played into how they wrestled each other. Stone Cold Steve Austin showed that he could be more of a strategist than perhaps Triple H had expected in the first fall. Triple H always had counters to the stunner near the very end, and I loved the closing structure. Every time Austin went for the stunner, Triple H had an answer for it, except for when Triple H erred from his game plan and came off the top and into the stunner. So... Austin won the fall that you wouldn't characterise with his style of wrestling. Then Triple H won the fall that you wouldn't characterise with his style of wrestling. And that kind of really was like a little postscript of Triple H sort of coming up in the fans' eyes as more of a a hardcore wrestler than a technical wrestler as well. And all the little Easter eggs and stuff that came from his prior fuse like austin finding the two by four in barbed wire and things like that really really good stuff and then the cage the bit where okay we're now we're so even with each other let's just go in at close quarters and just throw these bombs at each other until one guy comes out as a winner and they do that to such an extent that they're both absolutely knackered they both hit their big shot at the end and it's so even it's just a case of who has the ring presence who has Lady Luck on their side, and it just so happens to be Triple H. So Triple H wins, but Austin is just A-plus as opposed to A-star. This is my favourite match of what we're covering today. And it's a good time for wrestling music as well, because this is like a second showing where Triple H had the motorhead music, (laughs) and Stone Cold still had his Disturbed theme. I was a very, very happy bunny watching this match. Oh yeah, cracking themes. The big thing at the end as well is the bad guy won, which was the the shock. You know, normally the the culmination of the pay per view feuds is normally the face wins eventually. You know, whether that takes a year, two years, that normally happens. Whereas, you know, Triple H and, and Stone Cold, as we know the storyline goes, Stone Cold 
sold his soul to Vince at Mania and then they got the two man power trip so in essence this was the finish of their feud if you will and so it was a shock to have the heel finish the feud it led to a really interesting story in terms of Stone Cold's wider arc mm. where alright he's won the Royal Rumble and he's got a title match coming up but he just lost to the guy who was the big name associated with the title scene whilst he was out injured and so he's now really deeply questioning himself and whether he's still that guy anymore and that of course led to him siding with Vince and losing his marbles yeah and telling the rock I need this much more than you Mm. there's a few little pieces for me to pick apart there one is I don't necessarily think it's as rare as you guys are painting out that the heel wins. Triple H, of course, being the first heel to retain a belt at WrestleMania. Certainly the heel that ended the storyline arc against Scott Steiner, as we mentioned. Certainly the heel that ended the storyline arc against RVD, as we mentioned. Other heels winning feuds long-term may be rare. Triple H, not so much. But that's probably not the heel to die on for me. I'm going to go with, with the points that I really took issue with in this match. The first one, I think we attempted to sweep under the carpet a little bit earlier, Kyle, is Triple H absolutely stealing all of Rikishi's heat and booting his ass straight back out of that main event picture. Rikishi did it for The Rock, guys. Let's not let's not act like that didn't happen. He did it for the people, and he didn't get a chance to earn his reward. He was gone in a month. So I found this is an interesting pick because the match is fantastic, and the end, I didn't even... Yeah, no beef with the end, Triple H winning, I think... That's all fine, but the way he got there was basically a new main event guy got his ass booted out of the main event and Triple H took back over. So that's my first issue with it. My second issue is not Triple H's fault, but it is the dumbest question in the history of pay-per-view. I think we can all agree when Michael Cole asked Stone Cold, Stone Cold, are you ready to enter hell next? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> we can all agree on that, surely. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Now, with the finish, I'm not going to take exception with the finish for a reason that never actually happened, but it's okay because I think it could have set Triple H up and should have set Triple H up if injury and the alliance and whatnot hadn't happened as a long-term opponent for Stone Cold, even if he was going to partner with him first. So I actually like the finish for that reason and think it does add to the longevity of the story. My two issues are... One is the huge babyface comeback in the last fall of Triple H, taking everything and coming back and mounting the offense. I don't think flowed with the story of the match. And my second issue is, if I'm going to give you Triple H beating the guy that's about to win the belt at WrestleMania because it's got longer-term positives than it does negatives, I'm definitely not going to concede Triple H kicking out of the 12 chair shots that put The Rock down in the main event next month. To me, we saw after... uh, Two out of three falls, grueling match, a street fight, a wrestling match, a cage match. Triple H, after all that, proved not only can he beat Steve Austin, who's about to win the belt, but he could take the finish of WrestleMania and kick out of that as well. I just think their allowance is not given to any other heel, and their things that Triple H, that's where the advantage of who he is comes in, and it's stuff that just doesn't get handed to anybody else. And yeah, long term, I think this match probably did more good than bad, but at the same time, he certainly positioned himself above everybody else in WrestleMania 17. I'm certain at this time was the best drawing, biggest money match that they'd had at this point. And Triple H is automatically better than both those guys. I think it's a little bit harsh to think, oh, well, he kicked out of the finish to WrestleMania 17. As a fan at the time, you wouldn't yeah. be able to take that into account. And, you know, I'm not necessarily even sure that they'd have had any ideas 
for the matchup at that point. So in terms of, oh yeah, this is what we're going to do for the finish. Oh, let's have Triple H kick out of it anyway. It's such a strange like non-factor in this match as opposed to it being the winning factor in the match for next month. So that does kind of feel a little bit odd, but I don't think it was really this big Triple H's blowing his own horn thing, personally. I agree with that point. <laughs> well, I knew you would. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I'm starting to feel like maybe I've come into a handicap match. <laughs> you both felt this way. This is why you've both been ducking me all this time. <laughs> There's Triple H paranoia all over this podcast. <laughs> but no, I... Awesome match choice. I'll give you that for sure. Yeah, and this was like the addendum to Triple H's real hot streak in 2000. I think in terms of circumstances, it's a shame we didn't get to like where this could have led in the future for Austin and Triple H's story. If Austin had done what he said he wished he would and just stunned her and Vince in the ring at WrestleMania anyway... I bet that this would be Austin's big feud yeah. coming off of WrestleMania. Maybe they could have had like a Hell in a Cell match or something like that. Mm. I'd have loved to see that. But yeah. Agreed. Okay, so Kyle, your next match choice goes a little bit further back in time. Yeah, it's Triple H versus The Rock, SummerSlam 98. The reason that I've chosen this is because out of all these years of being a huge supporter of Triple H, this still stands out of one of my favourite matches. And it was the first match for me seeing Triple H less of this goofy, smart-ass character to actually someone who is actually a damn good wrestler. And it was then that transition of me, you know, seeing him grow from there. So just a little bit of a, a backstory. So it was The Nation versus DX. Rocky was the leader of The Nation. Triple H had his new DX after taking over from Sean. The Rock cost Triple H the European title in a match with D'Lo Brown. The Rock and Triple H then had a two out of three falls count at fully loaded. It was one all and then there was a timeout, so nobody won. And then we got to SummerSlam and the ladder match. Nice entrance to start off with. The DX band. That was quite Whose cool. instruments didn't work? <laughs> <laughs> that was quite cool again to someone who was quite new to watching stuff like that it was quite cool to see a, a band playing you know while in the, the ring the wrestler was coming out mm. and so that was that was really cool so anyway straight on to the match this was the first ladder match I'd ever watched I'd heard from my cousin of all the great ladder matches Razor Ramon all that sort of stuff mm-hmm. but never actually watched one and I was not disappointed. At this time, it was quite often you would see a lot of chairs and you know all this sort of stuff being used. But the, the idea that they were using the ladder to hurt themselves and the ladder was a big thing within the match. And even watching Triple H and Rock matches later on, you can kind of see where they got their styles from within this match. And throughout the whole match, it was back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. What was quite popular in that time was interferences, as usual. So we got to see Mark Henry from Rocky's Nation, and then we got China from DX, who kind of played into 
the ladder match and in the end was the the reason for Triple H winning with China giving the rock a low blow but afterwards what I didn't didn't realise and again makes me feel even more prominent towards this match is that Triple H actually legitimately injured his knee and carried on in the match Mm. and the other thing is when Mark Henry throws flour into Triple H's face he literally couldn't see like that's genuinely he couldn't see so for him to climb the ladder god knows how tall that is and still win the match you know kudos to triple h that still goes down for me as one of my favorite triple h matches yeah so i think there's a lot of factors that i associate with triple h here in terms of my fondest memories of him one his desire to put on a show even when he's hurt like i think he had this knee injury going into this show and that's why on Heat they had The Rock attacked Triple H with a chair in the leg yeah. and that's why they had the, the storyline of oh Rock's attacking Triple H's leg in this match the other is just undeniable chemistry with The Rock now you basically get two kind of modern ladder matches nowadays you get the car crash all high spots ladder match and then you get the story ladder match the fight ladder match this one is the latter and what makes it work so well is the ebb and flow of when they cut each other off, when someone else gets the chance to go for the title and things like that. And Triple H and The Rock were just ideal opponents for me. Those two guys, I mean, again, we go back to Cornette's claim that Triple H was the guy who wrestled the guy who drew the money. But for me, it was specifically the Triple H and The Rock chemistry that kept business up so well in 2000. Rock was great and he worked well with everybody, but there's a reason that Rock and Austin and Rock and Triple H were specifically the feuds that got the WWF to a level financially where it hadn't been before. Yeah. And yeah, I love this match, like the story of it. Again, another theme that I've seen through wrestling as a consequence of this, the rivalry that starts off at intercontinental title level and then escalates above it. Yeah. Triple H and Rock kind of felt like they set that pattern. Yeah. In my fandom, anyway. Yeah. Did either of you lads stay watching the match after the finish? It was just a little funny little Easter egg. So they got WWF home video exclusive footage of The Rock sulking off backstage because he's pissed off that he lost. And you can hear in the background Pat Patterson and Bruce Prickshard hollering after The Undertaker, wondering where he is and trying to get him to the gorilla position. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, Undertaker! Undertaker! Where's The Undertaker? Get the Undertaker. <laughs> it's just really funny. Just on that point as well, after the match, The Rock got a standing ovation. For a young up-and-coming wrestler, that's got to be the best thing. And especially losing as well. Yeah, definitely. I'm actually going to shock you both on this one and tell you I have nothing negative to say. This is actually possibly my favourite era of Triple H. I oh. actually think 1998, tri- 1998 Triple H is criminally underrated. I probably... like a match more of a storyline than a match that I really really enjoyed of him during this time I don't know if you guys remember the I Quit match from Raw uh, not long after the Rocks won the belt that was a day when I was actually pining for Triple H to win the belt and become part of the main event scene way earlier than what he did so I actually really enjoyed this match I have to say going back and watching it like it's a good as, as you sort of said Duncan a good realistic feeling ladder match where they use the ladder as a weapon it's a little bit slower than I remembered it but Triple H's knee injury obviously played a part in that. Yeah, and I even think the right guy won in Triple H going over because I think The Rock, by this point, I think 
his future arc was trending a little bit higher than Triple H's, and this sort of helped, pun intended, bring Triple H an extra rung up that ladder, and they sort of climbed together in this period. So, yeah, I really enjoyed this. No qualms whatsoever, and I liked going back and watching it. Oh, thank you very much, Lee. <laughs> Good choice, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> Unlike Kyle, I can be objective and see the good and the bad in Triple H. <laughs> oh! No, to be fair, I, I can tell you if there's a bad match. Like, that Steiner match was awful. But it wasn't his fault, it was just the riders. Yeah. <laughs> Don't ever change. <laughs> okay, so we've had our good aspects of Triple H, we've had our bad aspects of Triple H. So now, as the neutral party, I'm going to bring those together. I'm going to highlight one Triple H match I really, really like, and one Triple H match that shows his shortcomings, shall we say. My first pick to highlight Triple H here comes from Vengeance 2005, with the World Heavyweight Championship on the line in a Hell in a Cell match. Batista, the champion, is defending against Triple H, and this really goes back to when I started following things a little bit more closely in the early 2000s. There was all of his whispers going around about Triple H. He wants to ensure he has this legacy in the business. You know? He wants something other than him just being as himself an in-ring guy that was a top guy to be remembered for. And that's where Randy Orton and Batista come into it and the establishment of Evolution. They became his pet project. And he kind of saw making stars of Orton and Batista as his duty to create a legacy beyond himself in this business. Now, we'll get to what happened to Randy Orton in a little bit, but with Batista, one of my all-time favourite ascensions in terms of going from a guy in the middle of the card to a guy at the top of the card. Batista, his rivalry with Triple H, he just established himself as this no nonsense, take no shit, baby face. He's tired of getting trodden on by the quote unquote bigger guy. And the segment where Batista signing the contract for his WrestleMania 21 title match, because he won the Royal Rumble in January, and where he turns on Triple H with the thumbs up to the thumbs down. That is one of the most iconic all time turns in wrestling for me. And I've got a feeling you know what you want to do, big man, don't you? You know what you want to do. Hunter, I've known what I was going to do for a long time.
yeah, he just got over so naturally. And this feud with Triple H for me is a big instance of what Triple H can do if he puts his mind to it. If he really, really invests in someone that wants to get them onward in their future, this is what you can end up with. Batista won the title at WrestleMania 21 and he retained at Backlash. And he started to question whether Triple H was actually good enough to face him again, which caused Triple H to walk out of Raw. And then Batista showed some sting levels of blind faith, siding with Ric Flair again, only to be betrayed when Triple H returns. And Triple H lays down the challenge for the Hell in a Cell match. So the big story point of this is it's Dave's first Hell in a Cell match, but Triple H had never lost a one-on-one Hell in a Cell match at this point. They run through the, on commentary the list of people that Triple H has beaten in this match. And again, going back to themes, this is the first pay-per-view with Dave's Saliva theme song, <laughs> which I utterly, utterly adored. I like that he's wearing white in this match. It's the old baby face who doesn't know what they're in for. Like, yeah, those tights are going to be covered in blood by the end of this thing. And I loved as well the start of this match... The door to the cell was chained shut, and so they had to hover it above as they were getting in the ring. And Batista, when he'd go to do his pose in the corner, he wouldn't climb all the way up the ropes like he usually would. He'd just put his foot on the bottom rope because he was worried about Triple H jumping him. So they start the match with a brawl, which I liked, but then they wound up with training lockups, like about two minutes after. I'm like, well... You got the start of this right the first time around. Why have you gone to this back again? But anyway, they wind up trading shots into the cell and then Triple H finds a toolbox under the ring and they find a chain that they bring into the match and both men use it. Batista got hung up over the top with the chain. It's really sadistic looking. And that's one of my favourite aspects of this match, the way they upped and up the level of violence. In a sense, very elementary, one guy uses a weapon, the other guy uses a weapon, booking really early on. But it just escalated and they used all kinds of different weapons. For instance, the steel chair wrapped in barbed wire. Yeah. That was so sadistic and I'd never seen anything like that before. Dave whacks Triple H in the face with it after power slamming him onto it. Triple H comes back with a DDT on the chain and that's Batista's cue to bleed. And then he finds his hammer, which cues JR's Rock the damn sledgehammer! One of my favourite tropes in wrestling. (laughs) Dave gets a hammer, but Triple H counters with a chain punch and then goes to the second rope to do another one. But Dave puts the hammer right up underneath Triple H's jaw and he spits up, quote-unquote, blood. A little bit hokey, but, you know, still like, whoa... Triple H hit a colossal low blow to get the pedigree, but Dave still kicked out. Batista gets the base of the steel steps, not the top of them, which is, again, something more unusual than what we usually get in these like hardcore brawls. He goes to Batista bomb Triple H on them, but has to settle for a spine buster onto them. And then Batista goes for the Batista bomb on Triple H, but Triple H is able to grab the sledgehammer and he tries to, one last ounce of strength, swing at Batista while he's in this Batista bomb. But Batista pulls the trigger too quickly. And Batista bombs Triple H. Sledgehammer still in hand. And wins the match. And you end the match on that awesome, awesome closing image. Triple H battered, bloody, laid out. Sledgehammer still in hand. Categorically beaten by a brand new star 
in the business in Batista. Which is awesome, except you've really backed Kyle into a corner before you even started this match. Uh-oh. No graveyard in sight. <laughs> no, 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 no. But the real problem here is, Kyle, is how you're going to spin this and not give all the credit to the writers since none of Triple H's burials before were his fault. You're certainly not going to be able to jump on and share Duncan's opinion of Triple H going on a bit of a noble tour of making stars as part of his legacy because he has no say in that. <laughs> <laughs> now, I think this is back to my reasoning earlier. When Triple H sees a star, he'll put the effort in. But when he sees someone who's just like a cog to working day to day, he'll just be like, okay, do whatever you feel like. Kyle and I are just going to have to disagree with you, Duncan, and say that Triple H had nothing to do with this and the writers did a hell of a job getting Batista <laughs> over. <laughs> but I love this match and... It really kind of did a great job of innovating in a match that was really, really long established. It's seven or eight years since the Hell in a Cell debuted and they were still doing stuff that had never been seen or done in a Hell in a Cell before. This was definitely fantastic. That ending spot was very reminiscent of WrestleMania 17 with Triple H's match with The Undertaker where he gets it for the last ride and hits him with the hammer, which is one of the false finishes. This match was awesome. I really loved it. Awesome. Put Batista over strong. Made a star. Three pay-per-view wins in a row against Triple H is unheard of. The only small thing I would say with this is, and it's more of a timing issue, and this I'll, I'll even I'll maybe allow you to blame the riders, is I think having this match on last on what is John Cena's first Raw pay-per-view as the champion maybe took some of the wind out of his sails a little bit. But other than that, I think this just did an amazing job putting Batista over and making him look like a made guy. Yeah, I I think it just shows kind of the the work that the the two of them did having Batista walk out as champion and then the the home video version of Vengeance kind of did the afters having Triple H get himself propped up with his sledgehammer and then getting a standing ovation from the crowd you know that just kind of shows how appreciative the the audience were with you know what they've just seen. I think this goes back to Triple H's sort of click mentality. You'll probably be seeing this a lot on your timeline, Lee, but when two different members of the click work together, they always try and bust out everything they can to make their friends look good. And this kind of like had the same feeling. Triple H kind of felt some kind of sense of responsibility. They felt the same way because, you know, he learnt so much. And, you know, it's like friends trying to make each other look good. Definitely. So, my second pick, which highlights perhaps some of the failings of Triple H, looks at the other side of the coin as far as evolution goes. We're going back to WrestleMania 25. The WWE Championship is on the line with Triple H defending against 2009 Royal Rumble winner Randy Orton. But if Triple H got disqualified or counted out in this matchup, he would lose the championship. Now, we were all very, very high on what they did with Batista earlier on. But the fact was, Unforgiven 2004, Triple H had totally cut the legs out from Randy Orton by taking the title from him just after he'd become the youngest champion in history. And Orton's babyface run really kind of flopped. And there was rumours that he was supposed to be the guy that would get Batista's spot at WrestleMania 21, but they went in a different direction because it wasn't really connecting. So Orton and Triple H's pairing... I've never really felt that their chemistry was quite right. And for me, the best match they ever had together 
was No Mercy 2007. They had a last man standing match, yeah. right at the last minute. They let everything flow and they didn't overthink things because they didn't have time to overthink things. And I think that's one fault of Triple H's. He can sometimes really draw a match out and go back to the old school principles and it doesn't really communicate everything they set out to communicate. That's something that you kind of see here in this match. So that No Mercy 2007 Last Man Standing match, it looked like the kind of bedrock for a a WrestleMania 24 rematch. But John Cena kind of got segued into that because he returned from injury a lot sooner than expected. So then they wind up having a Last Man Standing match again at Extreme Rules 2008. But that got cut short because Orton hurt his collarbone. And so this is, once again, their next chance to do a real blow-off to this feud. Big time WrestleMania matchup with an absolutely crazy ass wild build-up of this story. Incredible. Randy Orton, who had intermittent explosive disorder, <laughs> punted Vince McMahon in the head, kicked the shit out of Shane McMahon, and also kicked the shit out of Stephanie McMahon, which caused Triple H to come out and give his all constipated faces because he's so angry at what had just happened. <laughs> and of course we also got that infamous home invasion segment where Triple H comes into Randy Orton's quote-unquote house <laughs> and batters him you not showing up tonight means you probably won't show up to Wrestlemania and that I won't have a chance to beat you for that championship and if you don't show up at Wrestlemania Triple H I will have no choice than to send you to the hospital with the rest of your family go get it you'll figure it out you'll figure it out you'll give me an opponent put me in a battle royal somehow you'll do it you'll give me award me the title I don't wait stop Samantha don't get the door Pillman 9mm, it was not. <laughs> this this was an awesome build-up, wasn't it? It was so, so good. I will say, though, <laughs> watching this, I thought maybe Randy Orton was going to be my partner on this podcast because he had a point in that video package. Triple H had been kind of a dick to him. <laughs> <laughs> he basically said, Triple H, you've ruined my career. And I'm like, well, that's why we're on this show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to be fair, though, if he's ruined this... <laughs> if not... You'll agree with my point here. If someone ruined your career, I hardly think punting your own boss is the way forward. <laughs> no, that's true. <laughs> it's, a hell, it's a hell of a last day on the job, though. <laughs> that segment with the McMahons all coming out and brawling with Legacy, that really popped me. I don't know if I'd ever seen that or certainly didn't remember it, but that was my favourite part of this whole thing was Vince Shane and Triple H brawling with Legacy. It was great. I literally forgot that had happened until I saw it in the package. I'm like, oh my god, this is like ultimate Manomania here. We're going to go toe-to-toe with the guys that are like the next big stars that are learning under Randy Orton. (laughs) Oh my god. So as you mentioned, Lee, this build was just incredible. But despite that, they just couldn't resist hamstringing themselves here with the stipulation that Triple H he couldn't get disqualified, he couldn't get counted out. The build to this match it was really conducive to a 
big personal hate-filled brawl. Everything goes out the window. And yet they're locking Triple H and Randy Orton into this straight wrestling match. Which makes no sense either, because why would Vince not just go, no, Vicky, if you're going to make that stipulation, I'll fire you. Yeah. Outside of kayfabe, this is probably to try and avoid a clash with some of the other matches on the card. You have the Hardy Boys and the Extreme Rules fighting. Of course, you always have money in the bank ladder match at WrestleMania in this era. But like I was saying earlier about people's frustrations with John Cena in 2006, it felt like they weren't going where people watching really wanted them to go. Now, Triple H, he's been in this position once before in terms of going on last on a WrestleMania. Oh, I've got this point in my notes. Thank you. (laughs) And maybe not getting the reaction to the match that he expected. WrestleMania 18, he closed the show with Jericho and it felt like kind of a flat match. And he blamed the fact that they had to follow up on Rock versus Hogan. There's similar sort of circumstances here where he kind of felt like the crowd was supposedly exhausted from Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels earlier on. And the segment before this match happened was Stone Cold Steve Austin's goodbye after his Hall of Fame induction. Now, having said that, going into this match and seeing the crowd reactions, there was still a fair bit of heat for it. Yeah. Like, when we, you got to the entrances. So, I don't necessarily buy that narrative quite as much as Triple H has bought into it himself. For me, what makes this fall flat is the match itself. The so, entrance was good. Yeah, the, <laughs> the hammer into the mirror thing. I, I found it a little bit odd, to be honest. I thought it was pretty hokey, that glass, like, <laughs> fake glass. Like. He, he's had better entrances. All-time favourite Triple H WrestleMania entrance, Lee. I actually really dug his entrance at 17 with Motorhead appearing live. That was back before live sort of intros became a real big thing. So that's probably mm. my favourite, to be honest. Yeah, minimalist. Nice, Kyle. I'm undecided between two. Go on. So it's either him coming out as the King of Kings with the NXT girls... Or it's Terminator throwing the helmet down the hole. <laughs> I can't decide. I, I actually two. can't stand that one because it's the cooler <laughs> entrance, and it's meant to be—he's meant to be the heel. <laughs> That's true. Actually, <laughs> my favorite out of balance here—the first ever Kings of Kings entrance, WrestleMania 22 against Cena, where he had the throne, and the, the, the first time he broke out of the Conan look. Yeah, I've a real spot, soft spot for that. This match begins and Triple H brawls, which you know is is fair enough. So they're actually trying to fit into this stipulation here that Triple H is still angry, and the referee has to warn him, "Don't lose track of the count here." But then Orton hits the RKO, goes for the punt, gets dodged, and Triple H hits the pedigree. So you've hit your finishes in the opening three minutes. You have got nowhere else for this match to go. Mm. Now, Triple H, bless him, he does try and wrestle a bit more viciously in terms of wrestling a straight wrestling match. Like, he clotheslines Orton in the back of the head, and he really goes after the neck of Orton and things like that, trying to cut the viper off at the neck, if you will. Yeah. Still, it's less than stellar. Some portion in the crowd randomly start cheering for something, but I can guarantee you it's not Randy Orton's beatdown when he starts to take control of this match. Chinlock City 
Pedigree gets catapulted out of. Venture Blake scores a clothesline. And then again, we get more indiscernible crowd noise as Randy Orton escapes a superplex. And then the portion of the match that irritated me the most. Randy Orton gets a jackknife cover and Triple H counters with a schoolboy out of the RKO. Mm. Oh, I hate you so much. You just tried to destroy the foundations of my family. I'm going to beat you with a roll-up at WrestleMania. <laughs> Fucking get out of here. Triple H blocks the punt and shit cans Randy Orton leg first over the top. Just kind of, kind of thing. Yeah, he grabs a TV monitor, goes to attack but of course that would get him disqualified so the referee talks him out of it but then for some reason the ref is fine with him trying to pedigree Randy Orton through the table but the pedigree gets backdropped out of and Triple H falls on the Spanish table which doesn't break Yo soy la mesa! That's Spanish for I am the table by the way I, I hate that when the table doesn't break It must be rough taking that bump yeah. as well all I can think of whenever I see tables not breaking is WrestleMania 21. HBK did that springboard moonsault onto Kurt Angle. Kurt Angle was like legitimately internal injuries. Yeah. Stuff. Oh, grisly. Orton hits a draping DDT on the floor and the referee's counting too quick and Triple H is in the ring yet. So it's like, nine! Nine! <laughs> <laughs> oh, Triple H is back inside. It's fine, it's fine, it's fine. <laughs> Ref bump, RKO, Orton finds a sledgehammer, but Triple H punts him, and this is the thing, Triple H steals Randy Orton's super-duper finisher, the thing that's injured Shane and CM Punk and Vince. Triple H nicks off with it, and it gets zero reaction. You know you're in trouble when that happens. Poetic justice, though. (laughs) 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 Yeah, the referee's still down, so Triple H takes the opportunity to use his sledgehammer, beat the piss out of Randy Orton with right hands, and just hit the pedigree again to no reaction to retain his championship. This was the flattest WrestleMania event I'd ever seen until, appropriately enough, Triple H wrestled Roman at WrestleMania 32. I mean... That that was down to the marks, though. Let's not get into that. (laughs) Oh, jeez. Ladies, get yourself a man that looks at you the way Kyle looks at Triple H. (laughs) 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 oh my god yeah just lots of flat brawling they absolutely didn't keep the crowd they had them at the start of this match despite what Triple H would tell you it was the way they wrestled it it was the way they hamstrung themselves with the ridiculous stipulations and again it's Triple H's temptation to draw everything out make everything really subtle in terms of plot points and you could have shaved 10 minutes off this made it more heatful, really intense brawl, mm. and it would have worked a lot better. The other thing with this match was as well, like because it went so long and was so dull and drawn out, the commentators were audibly bored. It, to me, it sounded as though the commentators were just sound bites from one of the SmackDown vs. Raw video games, with, of course, my favourite sound bite being Triple H has ended all three of Randy Orton's previous title reigns. <laughs> <laughs> just keep in mind guys this was the guy he was going to take under his wing and elevate <laughs> it definitely went too long and it was definitely not good it was a dominant end from triple h steal your finisher as you said outsmart you outsmart the referee outsmart the authority 
You know, you're saying about the commentary. I thought JR was a little bit drunk from the toast of Austin earlier on in the show because Triple H would do a move and like, you know, he'd be stuck with something to say because of fuck all happening in this match. And JR would be like, I love a double A spine buster. Love it. Great wrestling technique. I, I love a honey. Like Harley race. Yeah. Kyle, come on. Your boy's getting a big batter in here. To be honest... I watched that match and I came out with two notes. <laughs> Did you fall asleep? <laughs> right. My two notes were I really like the glass smash. The glass <laughs> <panel."> <laughs> oh, <laughs> and poetic justice right at the very end. <laughs> the whole match, I didn't have a note. And that goes for Randy as well. So. I, it was better than the Steiner match, let's be honest. <laughs> actually, um, actually, that, that raises a great point, Kyle. Don't you agree that Triple H, as the babyface, when he wasn't getting the reaction he should have gotten, should have done something to fire the crowd up, like a big move <laughs> or a pose or a come on, fuck off? <laughs> to, be, to be fair, though, to Triple H, he didn't need a career to save, whereas Steiner did. <laughs> I suppose, yeah. But no, you bring up an interesting point, actually. There's more parallels to this match and the Steiner match that meets the eye. They're both stuck in a formula for this match that evidently isn't working and nobody's brave enough to change it. This isn't a defence of Triple H. This is just something about Randy at that time. It was well known Randy didn't give a shit at that time. He had a lot of heat backstage in that he would come out and he would just be very laxy-daisy with his matches. At no point am I trying to put the blame on Randy for this, but I'm just saying that you've got to put that into context with this match as well that this is a, a not 100% Triple H to what we've seen against a laxy daisy Randy Orton you know it's not going to be your five star match is it you fast forward to the next month and Randy Orton's punting Triple H in the head and winning the title and getting a pop for it because they'd soured people on this storyline so much yeah. with how big of a flop it was here it was no surprise to me that we fast forward to WrestleMania next year and Lee, me and you covered this on my guest spots on your podcast and he's just in a really run-of-the-mill match with Sheamus, much lower down the card. Yeah, where he belongs. I think we can all agree. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. Let, let me add that he did help to put Sheamus over, by the way. Yeah, that went well. <laughs> real, real bright well, spot of the last 10 years for me, that is. <laughs> While he was away, yeah. But the problem is when he came back, it's just like, oh, hiya, Seamus. Better the piss out of you because I need to face the Undertaker now. Well, he, he deserved to be bad. <laughs> he deserved a bigger blow-off <laughs> of the amount of time Triple H took off as a result of the beating, I thought. Oh, he was a silly boy, wasn't he? Bringing a pipe to a sledgehammer fight. That's true, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, awesome. So... I hope we've gained a bit more of an understanding on each other's perspective here. So just to close off, Lee, being in the anti-Triple H camp for the purposes of this episode here, is there anything more you've gained in terms of an appreciation from Triple H as a result of today? Look, you can't argue Triple H is an amazing wrestler and has had some really, really big-time matches that have delivered. 
But I think Kyle made the point earlier, actually, like if he's put in a spot with with a big match or a main event match or a high on the card match that he can deliver with a variety of guys. And I definitely agree with that. So that would probably be the the one thing that I've come away definitely seeing that, yeah, that most of these matches were, were good. Half of the matches were good, I'm telling a lie there. But the half that were good were the longer ones, the bigger ones, certainly the ones that probably stand out more in the memory. But I like to think that I'm a fairly balanced person and whilst I can enjoy a, a Triple H match at a Triple H angle, I just think the TV character certainly by this point has run its course and as I mentioned with my graveyard earlier, it's probably taken more names than it's made names. Kyle, any appreciation for the <laughs> criticisms of Triple H you've gained today? No, no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. No, right. oh dear. And, uh, no, in all seriousness, as much as it's very apparent how much that I enjoy watching Triple H and I enjoy Triple H's matches. I do understand that there are certain aspects of Triple H's game, if you will, that, you know, isn't exactly to everyone's taste. And I understand that and the fact that I'm a very big Triple H supporter may put a lot of bias on that, but... I do understand people's points, you know, I'm not blind to understand and agree at times, you know, I I understand the points with RVD and the points with, with Steiner, but I just think that quite often they, they are blown up into the spotlight when, you know, other wrestlers could be guilty of that as well. But, you know, I, I do understand and I'm not disagreeing with you at all, Lee. You know, it just, that's, that's that. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to put up with the negative aspects of people in your fandom as yeah. well. And you've got yeah. to weigh up, well, how much does it interfere with my enjoyment? For me, there were times where the negative aspects of Triple H really interfered with my enjoyment of wrestling. But they were still able to turn that around. And I feel a lot better in terms of my fandom for having Triple H a part of the business than if, I don't know, maybe someone else got that push. Yeah. Do you feel he's made a positive or a negative contribution to wrestling? Both. <laughs> Triple H overall, if you count the backstage stuff and the executive stuff for me, definitely more good than bad. The TV character, I'm definitely going to side on more bad than good. Not all bad, certainly not 100%, but more names taken than names made for my personal opinion. Kyle, it's obvious what your answer is. <laughs> well, no, actually, this might shock you my point is similar to where Lee's coming from is that I'm obviously going to be pro Triple H but I do understand where people come from in which eras are pro Triple H and anti Triple H Mm. in the idea you know the the Triple H versus WCW era I completely get where people's points are in that that was very much uh, I'm going to destroy everybody sort of era so I understand that but obviously from a fan I'm obviously going to say he's made a positive impact and nobody can argue with the impacts that he's making now as a businessman and with NXT so ultimately he's a very astute student of wrestling and we're seeing it now now that he's in a position where it's not just his own neck that he's worrying about he's very very smart in terms of plotting things out and who he works with and you know what kind of happens in that regard. And like I said, in ring, 
he could be amazing when he was really, really on his game. How many game points can we fit into this closing <laughs> segment? If, if you listen to this podcast, every time we've said that, you need to take a shot. <laughs> <laughs> time to play the game, is it? <laughs> Triple H drinking game. <laughs> I'd buy that. <laughs> so... Overall, I'm not going to do as leaded and separate it out. I think overall, in balance, I'm very, very happy for having Triple H as part of my fandom. So that'll close out our debut edition of Restless Court. Lee, it was an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you, guys. I very, very much appreciate the opportunity to jump on. It's been a pleasure for me. Magic, do you have anything you want to plug? Maybe a certain wrestling podcast that stars yours truly looking at things head to head yeah so come and listen to the rory's nitro podcast i've got a whole bunch of episodes in the pipeline just waiting on people to get back to me with times and date and so there'll be heaps of stuff coming out in the next month or two um things are getting interesting in wcw for example um a certain storyline is just about to kick off on the show so check that out obviously you and myself look at the very short-lived Monday Night War of TNA and WWE. We, every now and again, we fast-forward a little bit and jump forward just because there's only so much 1995-96 wrestling you can watch in one sitting. Yeah, I've had an absolute blast doing a TNA storyline with Lee. One of the most vivid times in terms of wrestling fandom for me. So, remember, you can follow us on Twitter at TNW Podcast. It's the easiest place to keep track of what we're doing and when. We're also on Instagram at TNW underscore podcast. Yeah, yeah. Well done. Uh, <laughs> uh, follow us on Facebook uh, if you can wade your way through the tumbleweeds on yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Soundcloud.com forward slash TNW podcast is the best place to catch up with all of our previous episodes so far. There's a big playlist on there. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and we are now also on Spotify. Ooh. We also have a Ko-Fi page up. I forget the URL for that. I'll probably edit that later on. But yeah, <laughs> if you if you really enjoy our work, you can give us a brew. We just appreciate your support yep. all around, basically. All right, that'll wrap it up for this time. Uh, I'm not sure what we're going to do next time. The rumble. The rumble's coming rumble, up. Uh, we always do the rumble. It's also <laughs> a matter of a little uh, NXT UK takeover. Yeah, yeah. There's plenty for us to choose. There's a lot we can do in the pipeline. We'll bid you adieu right now. It's a goodbye from Lee. Thank you. It's a goodbye from Kyle. Yeah, goodbye. And it's a goodbye from me. I'll catch you down the road. <laughs> <laughs>